This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, the Milwaukee Bucks are crowned NBA champions. COVID chaos rocks the Tokyo Olympics. The West Indies dominate the Aussies in a T20 embarrassment. And where to now for the AFL season? So much to talk about as always, my friend. Let's go. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, the 21st of July. We waited an extra day past our normal recording day, lest the NBA finals finish. And we were right in that assumption. We will get to that. More than half the country, yes, 13 million people are in lockdown. Luckily, we are not some of them, but our hearts, our hearts do go out to those no, it's that are. Rough as, rough as anything. But as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what did you miss? Well, something kind of funny caught my attention this week. I was scrolling endlessly through YouTube, as a lot of people do from time to time, <laughs> myself included, and something took my eye. It was something called If AFL Commentators Swore. And it wasn't looking at not the one BT that, in the not, yeah, not, looking, not looking at times when they actually have sworn, but more so things that would have been quite hilarious if they had swearing. So things like Nick Davis, I see it, but I don't fucking believe it. <laughs> or Jezalenko, you fucking beauty. So yeah, I had a very, very good chuckle at that. There's some absolute crackers. Oh, in there. they were, they were. And I also saw an absolutely insane story from the Capricornia League in regional Queensland where the Yapoon Swans have actually recently recorded their 100th consecutive win. A hundred in a row. Yeah. With a 273-6 to win over Gladstone. (laughs) Good to see they scraped through. Yeah, just. But uh, yeah, they became the first AFL team to ever win 100 straight at a senior level, which I thought was absolutely magnificent. Wow. The competition itself obviously doesn't look that amazing, hence the scoreline. But you've got to put this into perspective. Like The last time that Yapoon was beaten, Britain hadn't even voted to leave the EU. Yeah. And Donald Trump was still a businessman. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. you know, 100 wins in any competition is very hard to do. And when, oh, you, yeah. when you consider that Geelong hold the AFL record at 23, it's insane. I mean, even that's nuts. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely crazy. How about yourself, mate? Well, unfortunately, I didn't feel 100% this weekend, which wasn't great. But what was great was that it allowed me to pretty much recline on the couch all weekend long and watch a hell of a lot of sport. You lucky bastard. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. I'm getting sick of those Ben Simmons 4 and 20 ads. Oh, yeah, Jesus. I mean, the shot that he makes wouldn't have counted anyway because it ends up hitting all these things out of bounds. So, Well, the exact line is, when Ben Simmons makes a three, we give a big high five. Do you know how many big high fives we gave this season? One? Three. Three. He hit three threes this season, including playoffs where he hit none. Didn't realize he'd hit a second or a third. Those ads are not going to age well. No. They are not going to age no. well during the Olympics. We're going to be bloody sick of them. When he ends up playing in China, <laughs> we give a big high five. That's more likely. So. <laughs> couple of other things. Just quickly, the NHL expansion draft is tomorrow for the Seattle Kraken. Oh, nice. I know we talk about team. What do you reckon about that team? Now? We didn't oh, talk I about it. I, I, yeah, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. They can use the old you know, crack and one open when they're yes. having a beer at the yes. game. So, no, I like yes. It. I mean, expansion teams, they might not be cracking too many open in the early seasons. But hey, <laughs> the Las Vegas Raiders in the NHL were pretty good pretty quick. So anything can happen. As long as they get in and have a good crack. Indeed. And, a red hot cracking. Yeah. Uh, Saquon Barkley in the NFL is taking all of his marketing money in Bitcoin, something that's becoming more and more frequent. Yeah, we we kind of teased the Spencer Dinwiddie thing about free agency, but we never got there. Mm. Well, the off-season's around the corner. Maybe we will get there. We will do. But, Shuey, what really caught my attention is the Sam Walsh pitch map. Oh, I've heard about this. I know you've heard about it, but you haven't haven't seen seen it it yet. Yeah, so So, here we go. So for those who are not in the know, wow, okay, (laughs) 
I'd, I'd heard that it looked a lot like a penis, and wow, that is standing to attention. <laughs> that man. is about as... Uh, that is as phallic as it gets. Yeah, pretty much. And it's got this yellow aura around the whole thing. So, yeah. wow. Yeah. And so, 50% in the defensive and 50% in the offensive half. So it's a very symmetrical penis. It is. It is. And I have already retweeted that on at Sport Blokes. But uh, yeah, that's... Right, right balls hanging a little bit lower. So that's, you know, pretty, well, that's, that's pretty accurate. Anatomically yeah. correct. Yeah. Yeah. Sam, yeah. Sam Walsh. Maybe I need to cut out John Dillon just not cricket and I might uh, use it with this picture. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not football. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I'm actually quite disappointed in myself. I missed the entire British Open golf over the weekend, and I refer to it as the British Open for a very good reason, mate. Yeah, it's funny you mention that. So I heard Mike Wilbon and Frank Isola filling in for Tony talking about how they call it the Open, and it should be called the British Open. And I thought, you bloody Yankees with absolutely no sense of irony at all. Like, literally today, they've dubbed the Milwaukee Bucks the world champions even though there is a world competition tipping off in a day or two for basketball. So just the irony and the lack of, I've got another one of them later in the show too. Yeah. But look, I was working a lot of morning shifts, so I was absolutely knackered by the time the coverage began in the evenings. Obviously amazing to see Colin Morikawa win the event at 15 under. He actually joined Tiger Woods as the only player to win the Open Championship and the PGA Championship before the age of 25, which is really impressive. Yeah, total round of 265. Yeah, well done. Oh, look at you go. Hey. Well done. <laughs> uh, he also joined Jack Nicholas and Bobby Jones in winning two majors before 25 while trailing after 54 holes, which is a remarkable achievement. There is a lot of Tiger Woods in this kid. Mm, okay. I would not be surprised if he had a very similar career trajectory. He's just... Well, even if he had a quarter of that sort of career, he'd be bloody doing happy. pretty well. Yeah. But it's funny, with all of that, the biggest story is still Bryson DeChambeau. Ah, yes. Saying in an interview that his driver sucks after hitting four of 14 fairways in round one. This is when he actually gets his driver specifically made by guys at Cobra for his swing plane. And apparently he was giving them a lot of headaches too, and they were trying their absolute best to suit his needs. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. If, like, if I was them, I would have dropped him on the spot. They will. They will drop him. They, they'd be very smart. Too. Almost certainly will. And I kind of had this thought that Morikawa is kind of everything the rest of the world loves about America. And DeChambeau is everything the rest of the world loads about America. Mm. And the more I think about it, the more apt it kind Polar of feels. Yeah. Right. So I, I just, oh, he's frustrating, isn't he? <laughs> but he's... Sports need villains. He's good content as yeah, well. So yeah. yeah. What yeah. did you miss, mate? Well, I'll tell you what I did miss. I missed mentioning that in the Ben Simmons 420 promotions, his pie was actually called the 4 and 20 Traveller. <laughs> They probably should have got James Harden as the yeah. uh, as the spokesperson for that one. Four and twenty unnecessary passer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, four and twenty doesn't want a dunker. No free thrower. Yeah, but uh, what I missed was well, I missed all of the T twenty. I've got to say, oh, I saw a tiny bit of funnily enough the one we won where Mitch went off a little bit. Uh, sorry, Mitch Marsh went off, not Mitch Stark. True, but uh, yeah. I mean, with all that, with the NBA finals, with all the, there's, with all this stuff going on, the cricket has kind of fallen away a little bit for me, and and I'll be I'll be waiting for the ashes. You didn't miss much. Yes, well, yes. So, Shui, even though the opening ceremony isn't until Friday, the Olympics have kicked off in Japan, and there's already been some weird shit going on. So, a guard found a bear inside the Azuma Sports Park Stadium. <laughs> During, the, during the softball, yeah. Yeah, and, and Australia lost in the mercy rule. So, yeah, a good start for the Aussies. They were spooked by the bear. We'll just say that. <laughs> the curse of the bear. Uh, and I believe some soccer's kicked off as well. So some of the events have already begun. Well, actually, before we get into that, if you wouldn't mind. You want to look ahead, don't you? I just want to give a quick shout out to Brisbane. 
for taking out the 2032 Olympics. They've, mm. they've done really well with their bid. And thank God Anastasia Palaszczuk was there in person to ensure their bid was <laughs> successful. <laughs> their unopposed bid. <laughs> like, who was she worried they were going to lose it to? The mole people or... I, honestly... I'm well, it's, no, it's not like there's a global pandemic or anything. No, so anyone can fly it's wherever. It's not like she's taking someone's spot who's legitimately trying to get home. Or staying home to lead. Yeah. Just so you have a sports minister or something? Seriously, just, yeah. just stay at home. You weren't going to lose. Yeah, well, yeah. Anyway. But no, Nath, in all seriousness, we are two days away from the official opening ceremony. Yes. And we don't even know if these Olympic Games are going to go Yeah. Ahead. I read today that they could still pull the pin at the 11th hour. There is and it's been talk. declared a, an emergency zone, as you mentioned last week, a state of emergency. And, so, And we'll talk more about, obviously, all of the things that are going on there because it's it's an absolute shit show. And, and I guess my question to you from the start is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how big a shit show do you think this is going to be? Oh, well, there's already been some weird stuff going on, isn't there? We've had COVID dramas. We've had teams, which we'll talk about in a sec. I think it has a pretty good chance to be a decent shit show. Given it's on, we'll watch, but probably shouldn't be going ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the view that I've had for months now. Yeah, yeah. And anyone who's listened to our show will know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That has been my that view yeah, for, yeah. It's, Basically since last year, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking probably an 8 to an 8.5. It's going to be horrible. Mm. But there's, as you said, already so much to unpack. Let's start with something a little bit light, both for comedic value and weight. And we have to talk about something that you mentioned quite a while ago, actually, on our show. Yes, is- yes. Well, when we thought they were going ahead last year, as they were meant to for 2020, the beds. The supposed anti-sex beds, as they've been dubbed by the media, which these athletes have been given. So for anyone who somehow managed to miss this, they've made the beds out of this recyclable cardboard, and I believe a lot of the bedding as well. So the whole idea with this is that it is meant to be some sort of environmentally biodegradable or recyclable. That's material. right. It's not a bonk band thing. It's no. a sustainable environmental thing. Exactly. Yeah. But social media has gone into this frenzy about it being a ploy from the IOC to stop athletes from getting up to their usual mischief. Because obviously, once people have finished their events, they want to try. Well, to- there's a lot of young, attractive people yeah. all in the same place. You know, can't blame them. Yeah, sure. you, yeah. You, you can't blame them. It reminds me of a good joke, Chewie, actually. Oh, yes. Uh, it's about the guy and his wife are lying in bed and he has the Olympic-style condoms. And he says, oh, tonight, honey, I'm wearing the gold condom because I want to go for gold. And she said, well, maybe wear the silver one so you don't come first this time. <laughs> for once. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, dear. But look, there's several things wrong with this right from the start. So firstly, they were designed before COVID was even a thing. So it's not possible that they were designed with that in mind. Secondly. We've seen the video from this Irish gymnast, Reese McLennan, posting a video of him jumping on it multiple times. Doing a triple somersault with a 12. Basically, these things hold 440 pounds. They're apparently sturdier than wood. And here's the kicker. If they really did break apart at the drop of a hat, here's a thought. The athletes could, I don't know, move the mattress onto the fucking floor. (laughs) Or go to the shower. Yeah. (laughs) There was also uh, Hockey Roos goalkeeper, Rachel Lynch. I love her quote on Instagram. She said... Can confirm they are strong enough for activities. <laughs> and there was a picture with her and like four others, I think it was, jumping up and down on the team. Activities. Yeah. I mean, 440 pounds is a lot. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that is a lot. Yeah, that's a shack and a half. Well, yeah, basically. <laughs> 
So yes, well done to the organisers for an environmentally conscious decision. I, I, I applaud them greatly for that. It's brilliant. Now we have to move on to something a little bit more serious. So Liz Cambage, unfortunately, she decided to follow in the footsteps of Naomi Osaka to step away from the Olympics to kind of deal with her mental health. And look, we have to applaud her the same way that we did with Naomi yeah. Osaka for yeah. making a decision that is right for her because she's you know, she's clearly troubled at the moment well, and she, she needs she needs to be in a better environment yeah and, and this is the thing when you consider the situation that she's in where she's on an opals team that is probably as likely as ever to actually finally upset the americans and take that gold medal away to really be able to say to herself you know what i need to pull the pin and step away that is a very admirable move i still don't know if we can beat them without her but you've got to do what you got to do and, and like you say, you know, we can't applaud Naomi Osaka and then then stick the boot in on, on an Aussie just because they're an Aussie. Yeah. Apparently what she said, though, was pretty heinous to those Nigerian players. Well, yeah, it has to be mentioned that it was an investigation about yeah. a, quote, reported physical and verbal altercation involving Cambage during a closed doors practice match against Nigeria. I've heard some reports, too, that it was not the sort of stuff you would repeat. Yeah. But... Look, at the end of the day, we obviously wish Liz all the best in getting the assistance she needs, and hopefully she's back on the court very, very shortly. The guy that Andrew Bogut records with on the Rogue Bogues podcast, have you heard that? No. He he referred to it as unforgivable language, Ooh. I think. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, though. You think we swear? Like, he swears every third word. Anyway. Then we've got the COVID dramas, obviously. Again, we've got to go back to all of the things that are going on. So, obviously, the first one popped up last week. Ah, uh, yes, Bradley Beal, unfortunately, has had to step away, given COVID. Kevin Love's also left, but that's not COVID-related. That's just because he, he can't play anymore. Yeah. But, yeah, there's been so much around the American teams. Obviously, with Beal, you've also had tennis player Coco Goff. You've had somebody in the same squad as Simone Biles in the US gymnastics team. You've had... Oh, they'd be spewing if Biles herself oh, was sent home. Could you imagine? But then you've also got two South African football players, Tabiso Monyane and Kamohelo Malazzi. Then you've got analyst Mario Masha, the six athletes and two staff members from the Great Britain side that need to isolate due to being close contacts to someone who would then go on to be positive. There will be no surprise from me at all if we start seeing these small clusters and somebody has to end up missing a gold medal match. Oh, yeah. There'll be big names that we'll have to miss because of this. Yep. This could actually be the biggest asterisk event in the history of sports by the time we Yeah, it's, it's a really, really good insight. I agree. Yep. Or I could be dramatising it all completely and it could go ahead Well, without, you did say could. Without incident. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed it will go ahead without incident. But, yeah, we won't hold our breaths. Unlikely. No. And the bad news doesn't stop there, unfortunately. So there was a really sad story today. Paralympian Becca Myers has been forced to withdraw from the American swim team because her mum, who is her personal carer, was denied entry to the Games. Now, she is a Paralympian. She is deaf and blind. If ever there is someone that needs a carer with them, I mean, this is, I must admit, I don't know more information, but it just feels heartless. There has to be a seriously, seriously big problem. Like, I don't know, she's a convicted murderer or something like that. Like, there's not much that you could put in front of me and, and for me to say, nah, don't let her in. Like, that's... Yeah, I mean, obviously there's limited spots, but crikey. She she absolutely needs to have somebody there to help her. And it is it is such a shame to see somebody put in... Well, I mean, we say five years worth of training. I mean, it probably goes way, oh, yeah, yeah. way further back. Yeah, and it could be her last chance. I don't. Again, I don't know a lot about her. But get this. So she said that the American Paralympic swimming team will have one designated carer to look after the entire 34-person squad, 
Nine swimmers are blind. Jesus. One carer. How are they supposed to do that? So, yeah. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah. Very sad. Absolute joke. Another sad story as well. Did you hear about the Polish swim team? Yes. Terrible. Terrible. So six of the Polish swimmers have been turned around after a clerical error meant that the Polish Swimming Federation sent too many athletes which is just, again... How does it happen? It's this, It's a similar sort of heartbreak. Obviously, not, oh. not quite as disgusting as the last story, but it's pretty horrible. This guy, Paul Slominski, who's the director of the Federation, he's admitted fault in the mistake, saying he wanted to send as many athletes as possible. But, I mean, surely heads have to roll for something Oh, of course like they do. Of course. You know, that's the sort well, of thing. Where are the checks and balances? If one person makes a mistake, where's the next person that says, well, hold on, here are the bylaws or whatever it might be? It's unbelievable. Mm, think, really sad. I think the checks are there. Um, I, I'm not the sure. checks and the poles, yeah, they'll yeah, be competing. The, not, uh, yeah. So will the Germans yeah. and the Dutch. I'm not sure yeah. if the balances have made it yet, but the, the checks are definitely in quarantine at the moment. So No, uh, look, honestly, the, this whole thing is crazy. And then there was even an, another ridiculous story today out of the out of the bloody horse riding. No, oh, okay. <laughs> The Coke fiend. The Coke fiend. You don't think of dressage people to be Coke bandits, but I guess anyone could, couldn't they? Yeah. It's just, What's just, uh, we, what we haven't have we looked up his name? No. And it's all alleged. <laughs> we were, yeah, exactly right. News just to hand. Matildas are currently 2-0 up on New Zealand. Sam Kerr's kicked a goal too, so that's nice. The funny thing being that she didn't kick it, it was a header. There you go. Oh, well, sorry. No, <laughs> she scored a goal. She scored a goal. <laughs> no, look, this honestly, I I think the world is waiting with bated breath to see how this is gonna go. <sighs> or how it's going to blow. Yeah, well, it could very much blow up. Well, I was talking about the cocaine. Well, guy, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to play it with a straight bat. Okay, fair enough. Took, took the edge through the caper. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was a good line. Well, Nath, after 50 long years, the Milwaukee Bucks are finally back on top of the pile. A couple of weeks removed from a leg injury that looked like a 12-monther for Giannis yeah. Antetokounmpo. No kidding. But he was sensational, taking out finals MVP, averages of 35 points, 13 rebounds and five assists while shooting nearly 62% from the field. First player with a 30-10-5 average on that sort of shooting clip. Absolutely ridiculous. And the Bucks won more games in this finals alone than they won in Giannis's entire rookie season. 16 to 15, I saw that. That's ridiculous. They were the fifth team to rally from 2-0 down and just the third to win four straight after going 2-0 down to join the 77 Blazers and the 06 Heat. 06, yeah, I remember the Heat doing that, yeah. And I have to just say something, Nath, as this series went further and further in, I just realised more and more that I didn't want either team to lose. Ah, interesting. This is the first time in the entire time that I've, I've been watching basketball. And I've been watching basketball since 1991. This is the first time that I haven't had a team that I wanted to win a series. It's really funny you say that. So last week you said go Suns, I think, in our outro. Because I tipped them. Which is, yeah, which is fine. And, and I have a similar thought. So I was rooting for the Bucks, and I'm glad the Bucks won. I've basically been rooting for a Bucks Nuggets NBA Finals for like the last three years since the Spurs have lost Kawhi, basically. Yeah. But I would have been fine with the Suns winning too. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I know exactly what you mean yeah, yeah like it's just funny you know so you look last year and look the lakers were a much better team than miami i thought they deserved to win i was happy for them to win anytime golden state was involved i was happy for them to lose and so on and so forth all the way back to the jordan bulls this year yeah i i just i didn't want the series to end i didn't want a team yeah, to lose yeah. if as much as a lot of people don't like chris paul he deserves a championship he's just been such an amazing player. And it was tough. It was tough. But obviously, yeah, full credit to the Bucks. Yes, indeed. Let's start from where we left off last week, Stewie. On to game four. Game four. So this was the game we were waiting for. After games one through three didn't have a lead change, I don't even think they had a tie in the second half of any of the first three games. This was a real arm wrestle. 
Great game. Absolute cracker. Most of the second half, it kind of swung back and forth. Phoenix were actually up nine early in the fourth, and Jeff Van Gundy said that the Bucks looked dead in the water later in the game in commentary. Well, they did. I, I don't actually agree with that because that was at the very start of the fourth, and Connaughton hit a three straight after. So he made it six with like 11 minutes 40 left in the fourth quarter. No, I, I see, I kind of agree a little bit with it purely because at that time, before Connaughton hit the three, there was a lot of ISO play. There was a lot of one-on-one stuff, a lot of not great offense. They weren't running any plays. They weren't getting any pick and rolls. There was nothing going on. It just so happened that that three from Connaughton kind of kick-started. A great final a quarter. A great final yeah, quarter. Yeah, yeah. So. It was a cracking game. And and unfortunately, I didn't get to see game six yet because it happened today and I was at work. But games four and five were absolutely spectacular. Yeah. Just what we wanted. And look, the great thing about it was, and we'll get to obviously to game five in a, in a minute, but game four was the first one that, yeah, did really come down to a couple of big plays and none bigger than that ridiculous block from Giannis on the alley-oop play. Defended both the, you know, the the picker and the roller, I guess, with, with Chris Paul coming off that screen. And to be able to make that sort of recovery and not just block a shot, but block an alley-oop. Oh, yeah, it was huge. A couple of things before that, though, if we may. So Devin Booker absolutely dominated the third. He had 18 points on seven of seven, one, the first of two consecutive 40-point games. He did, however, get into foul trouble. He got his fifth foul with just under 11 minutes left in the fourth, and he was taken out. Now, he came back in. I didn't take note of when he came back in, unfortunately. But so that at, was about five minutes later. So was about, it? about six minutes left in the game. Okay, so yeah. at the three-minute 39 mark, they don't call his sixth oh. foul. On on basically a cuddle. He basically cuddled Drew Holiday on a drive. Heinous. It was heinous. And and had had the Bucks lost that game, that would have been the defining moment of the entire finals. See, this is the note I've got here. I'm kind of glad Milwaukee won this one oh. after a blatant foul. Oh, more than kind of glad. Could, like, yeah. That would have been scandalous. Could you imagine the backlash? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Now, luckily, Giannis cleaned the boards and he scored the two. But it was amazing that Mike Breen, like, kind of, like, I don't remember hearing him go that crazy about a non-call before. Yeah. Like, he was going off. And then, of course, Booker hits his 40th point only moments later. So he shouldn't have even got the 40, it's got to be said. Yeah. And he actually broke a record in that game as well. He broke Rick Barry's record for the most points in your first ever postseason. So, he, yes, that's right. Yes, because he was kind of third on the table last week. And then he, mm, yeah, that's right. That's Dr. right. Dr. J and Rick Barry. So, yeah, that, that was yeah. a record that had stood since 1967. Now, admittedly, played an extra five games. So, yes. he did have obviously the benefit yeah, of a yeah. lot of extra time yeah. on the floor. Yeah. But, uh, and then that yeah. alley oop is at the one minute 15 mark. Yeah. And Booker was the one that threw it, funnily enough. And oh, it, was, it was Booker, wasn't it? Sorry. It was, I said, it was I said a, Chris Paul before. Apologies. Oh, did you? Oh, well, that's, yeah. And it was a decent pass, it but it was great. a great block. It was a great a pass. Huge it was a block. superhuman block, is oh, what it man. was. It was like, that was the sort of play that only Giannis could make. There is no one that has the lateral speed, the athleticism, and the timing all at the same time to make that play. Yeah, yeah, no. No it's, one. It's fair. It's not, fair. Not, not even Pete LeBron could make that play. Yeah, no, it was, it was quite you. remarkable. Quite remarkable. Now, the Bucks did their best to try and give this game away. It's got to be said. They missed on consecutive possessions down the stretch. The thing that kind of kept them alive was the way they were cleaning the glass, getting a lot of offensive boards. So there was one possession where they didn't score, but they managed to chew basically nearly 50 seconds of clock because they had two consecutive shot clocks thanks to an offensive well, rebound. Yeah. Yeah. Back to Booker a little bit. He's bitching and moaning a lot. Is like, oh, sorry, it's over now. But he was bitching and moaning a lot. Like, and it was beginning to piss me off, it's got to be said. Because he he whinged on a 
drive to the basket late in the game where he thought he was fouled, but it was definitely not a foul. He wasn't even touched, basically. Kind of hypocritical when you hug a guy. <laughs> oh, he's constantly hugging. He was he hugged guys on multiple occasions in game four and five. Don't know about six because I haven't watched it yet, but he probably did that too. But he like he was the one bloke that was getting like seven or eight fouls a game, you know, and he's the one bloke that was constantly bitching and moaning. And it's it was getting a bit old, to be honest. Yeah, he and Chris Paul have not surprisingly come out and said that they are sore losers. Did they which, say that? Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. <clears throat> and I self-aware. And I completely get that because I'm a horrible loser. Like I'm, I'm the sort of guy who will, yeah, knock over a game of Monopoly because I'm losing. So <laughs> I say nothing. I'm not a big fan at all. But no, that it's you're right. Like there's a time and a place, and you're getting a lot of calls. Where it certainly wasn't that stage. A couple of other interesting things from that game. So the Bucks managed to hold on. There was a trap. So it was 105-101. So the game was, you know, it was only four points. There wasn't much time left, but anything can happen. And Paul and Johnson actually trapped Middleton in the, basically the right-hand baseline. And they call a foul, anticipating a foul to stop the clock. They didn't actually foul. they didn't touch him. Yeah, so that was, I mean, I think, I don't think that's totally egregious because the game was pretty much over at that point, but... Yeah, you never know. You never know. And then the other one that was really weird. So late in the game, they showed Jarnas with a foot on the line as he did an inbounds pass. And Mark Jackson's like, wow, as if it's some scandal. Every fucking inbounds pass, a guy has a foot on the line. Why the hell are you showing it now? It's just riling up Phoenix fans unnecessarily and unfairly. So game five, absolute game for the ages. I have to ask you this, and we'll kind of look at this the same way as game four, where we look briefly at something that happened at the end of the game and then talk about the whole game. But yep. has Giannis's finish to this game possibly usurped DeAndre Ayton's effort for the title of value? Oh, wow. Good question. Because it happened in Phoenix. Yeah. Wow. Great question. Like, holy shit. Holy what, shit. What a play. Holy shit. This is like the dunk equivalent of LeBron's block on Andre Iguodala for me. Oh, it's it's huge. It was huge. Yeah. So gutsy. Like you see it. So gutsy. You, you can see it coming. You see the build up. Yeah. But you're still not sure it's actually going to happen. And then when Hol- Drew Holiday goes to make the pass, you're thinking, yep. what are you doing? Dribble it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Then they make true greatness happen. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, what a pass, what a finish. What can you say? Oh, the, the guts, the balls to throw that pass. And initially I thought that it was maybe a little bit off and it was just Giannis's athleticism and long arms that got the dunk. But I actually realized when I rewatched it, it was because bloody Chris Paul pushed him. Yeah. It was a perfect pass. Yeah. It was a flagrant foul. And that's why I'm not devastated that the Suns lost because I respect the hell out of him. And I think he's had a wonderful career and he's an amazing player and he'll still be an amazing player next season. But he's a fucking dirty player. So let, let's talk about Drew Holiday for a second. Yes. So, the bounce back game. So, how many guys would come into a game like this shooting 33% from the field with their head held that high? He was four of 20 the one before, wasn't he? Correct. It? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, there's all this talk, obviously, his defense is. What's that's his best attribute, and, and we've got to say we haven't talked about it enough, and and that's been the really impressive. I've become a fan of Drew Holiday this playoffs more hmm. because even when he's shooting poorly, his defense is next level. Yeah, and, next and, level, and he does other things. I mean, he rebounds at a high level. Uh, I think he had double figure rebounds today, nearly had a triple double. Like he, yes, does, he yeah, he, I think he was one board off a triple double. Yeah, or something. he yeah. impacts the game in so many different ways. But yeah, to. Obviously, to come into this game in such a pressure situation on the road as well, 
and then put together this phenomenal first half. I mean, he was 11 of 14 from the field at one stage. He was keeping the Bucks in the game because Giannis and Chris Middleton were very slow off the mark in game five. And he was the reason that the Suns didn't run away with it. I mean, they were they were down 16 points at quarter time. The first half was a tale of two quarters. So the Bucks had 21 on nine of 21 shooting in the first, where the Suns had 37 on 14 of 19 shooting. And then in the second, the Bucks had 43 points on the road, 17 of 24 shooting. The Suns had 24 on 10 of 28. So look, the first quarter is pretty simple. I mentioned last week it's a make or miss league. They made 11 straight shots, the Phoenix Suns, at one stage. And the 12th shot that they missed, they got the offensive rebound and scored from it anyway. So they were getting anything they wanted in offense. They were making shots. It was really, really simple. But what do you always say about early leads, Nath? Oh, they're the worst ones to have because you have the most time to chew them up. Exactly. And the second half, yeah, you mentioned 43 points. It was all about the energy from the second unit. So Bobby Portis brought this amazing energy. And it has to be said, he had one of probably the most underrated final series of all time. A couple of things on that. One, earlier in the playoffs, he wasn't even getting off the pine. And two, because I didn't get to see the game today, I tried to, I listened to as much as I could on ESPN radio while I could at work. So I heard maybe half of it. But I also tried to listen to a few podcasts as well. One of the ringer guys compared him to James Posey. Really yeah, good comparison. That's a great comparison. It is, isn't it? It's fantastic. That yeah. Is, that is really great. I mean, James Posey didn't have the crazy eyes, but <laughs> but no, very But he had some crazy games in the NBA finals. Yeah, that is that is really great. It's yeah. almost like that Robert Ori. Yeah, yeah that, that, that kind of role, hitting threes, playing defense, getting rebounds. Yep, absolutely. Doing Taking charges. and stuff, yeah. Yep. And look, Pat Connaughton made some shots as well. The Bucks. Pat were- Connaughton's had a pretty good... Uh, today, he wasn't so good by the no. looks of things, but he had a pretty good final series, it's got to be said. Grabbed some key offensive rebounds, hit some massive threes. Yep. I have to say, he was a deer in headlights today. But, yeah, right. But uh, no... Look, Fear uh, the deer. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that. But uh, no, look, the Bucks. They, they kept themselves in that game. They were 9 of 17 from three in the first half on that. Yeah, so after weathering that early onslaught and having that crazy second quarter, the Bucks actually kind of had the game in control heading into the fourth. They were up 10, but it was only 10. Yeah, and as we know in this league with the three-point shot, yep. guys can make runs really quickly. And there was a 12-3 run really late in this one that kind of got the Suns back into it, gave them a shot to take the lead. And look, yeah, we, I suppose the, the players are, as a whole – Drew Holiday made a really good double down on Devin Booker as he was kind of looking for the shot or the pass with 20 seconds left. Manages to get his hands on the ball, strips it clean, and we know the rest. Obviously, one of the most amazing players in the history of the finals. Drew Holiday also came up with a key steal at the end of game four, we didn't mention actually as well, when he crossed over to the middle and kind of lost control of it. So Holiday had some really key defensive plays. By the way, this is the guy that was traded for Bledsoe Hill, three future firsts and two pick swaps. Now, some would say the fact that Giannis even re-signed justified that trade because it kept him in Milwaukee. But we only need to look at guys like James Harden and Kyrie Irving and stuff to know that no contract lasts. No. So so although that was a king's ransom to get Drew Holiday, the proof's in the pudding. Paid off. And he was one of those guys that every trade deadline, like kind of championship teams that were on the cusp. They sniffed would, around. Yeah, yeah. it's different. And it never happened. It never happened. Finally got traded and here we go. And all those teams would be thinking, shit, if He's only we had. If yeah, only we had. yeah. Some really fun things though about this game as well. So first things first, we'll do a couple of stats. Giannis, Middleton and Holiday, just the sixth trio in 50 years with at least 25 points in the same finals game which I thought was really cool. And they padded the stat sheet because they had a lot of blocks and assists between them too. They did. 
The Phoenix Suns went 55% from the field and 60% from three and still lost 62% the game. 62% from three, yeah. Still lost the game. Yeah, it's incredible. Unsurprisingly, the first time in playoff history that that has occurred. Yeah. And Devin Booker's fourth 40-point game these playoffs more than LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Michael Jordan, and Kobe Bryant combined in their first career playoff series. And first time ever, there's been a player with back-to-back 40s on a losing effort. Mm, I did see that. So there was that play really late. I think there was about a minute 45 left. Booker's given Middleton another cuddle, and the balls clearly come off Middleton's shirt, but they didn't call the foul. Do you reckon they said Bucks ball because they knew it was a foul and they couldn't call it? I, I it was actually, kind of a natural I, justice thing. I actually called Phoenix ball when it went out before they even started looking at the replays. Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was like doing the replays. Well, it should have been Phoenix's ball, but yeah. he fouled him. He gave him another cuddle. So it was natural justice. So. You never want to hope that the umpires are doing it that way, but yeah, it's quite possible. Yeah, yeah. Now, Shuey, this game has instant classic written all over it for all the reasons we've mentioned on the court. But there's all this crazy off-court stuff too. And I reckon there'd be a great 30 for 30 about actually the last two seasons, the bubble playoffs and then this season too. ESPN Classic would love to have this game for a number of reasons. So LeBron James is sitting courtside looking like a king. He's got Rich Paul there, his agent, who's dating Adele. So that was kind of an interesting thing. He's rolling in the date, basically. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of rolling, how about that guy with a roll of $100 bills Counting them out on the Giannis free throws. Like, okay, yeah, mate, you've become a meme. But even if they were fake $100 bills, you were just asking to be mugged. Imagine if that guy's name was also Paul. He could be Rich Paul. <laughs> the, the second Rich Paul. Yeah, I, I must. When he, when he came onto the screen, my first thought actually was, I bet they're fakes. Yeah. But... Don't you still asking to be mugged? It's, it's so crazy though. Yeah. Just seeing him count them out and just look so disappointed. Oh, I better count out my thousand dollars again. Uh, it's like, come on. But their, their, their counting was terrible. Like he's the ball's already left his hands and the crowd is still going 11, 12, 12. 13. Yeah. Shit, man. We're going to talk about game six though. Three weeks to the day since Giannis hurt his knee and we're all thinking he's probably out for 12 months, like you said earlier. And I'll tell you what, if this is not Giannis's masterpiece, I do not know what will. Oh. 50 points, 16 of 25 from the field, remarkably 17 of 19 from the free throw line. And he hit 17 of his first 18, actually missed his last one. But he went eight of 19 combined in games four and five from the line. So to turn that around so dramatically... And then combine that with 14 rebounds and five blocks. And there are another couple that were pretty close goaltends as well. <laughs> His third 40 and 10 for the series. Yeah. Ridic- Amazing. Ridiculous. I have to go back to a point I made last week. So I said, I think Phoenix is better off turning him into a scorer. Now, if he's going to shoot eight of 19, or even if he goes back to his season free throw average and goes 13 of 19, that probably works. But when he's shooting that sort of percentage from the line... Well, it goes back to what I said last week. He's got to play... He's got to get as many shots close to the rim as possible and basically be a centre. Hmm. Yeah. But he's unstoppable. But that's the thing. Like, if he is shooting your free throws that well and you can't foul him... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then you have to uh, you have to flip the script and turn him into a distributor. Oh, absolutely. Drew Holiday was back to his old self, 4 of 19. Pat Connaughton, as I said, looked like a deer in headlights, 0 of 4. PJ Tucker played 36 minutes and took, took one shot. Yeah. So Middleton wasn't that great looking at the box score, but he made some key shots late. But yeah, but I mean, the thing is, you make someone else beat you. Double down on Giannis and say, right, if we're sticking with single coverage, he's just going to get a run downhill at the rim. He's spinning into layups. He's getting fouled. He's making his foul shots, or he's just dunking on your head. Yeah, you're not going to win a game doing that. Like the Bucks were scoring at will. 
and, I, and most of that obviously was Giannis, but like Phoenix could not string together stops. And as a result, they couldn't get back into the game. It's it, by the looks of it. Again, I didn't see it. And I've, well, I heard, I heard some of the call on the radio. They had a pretty much no shows from Ayton, Johnson. Yep. Booker wasn't spectacular. Yeah, they, these are all no Campaign kind of went okay by the looks of they, things. They didn't play him enough. Yeah, right. He was getting any look that he wanted. He was getting brilliant looks out of the pick and roll. I mean, he admittedly, he's looking to score a lot more out of it than Chris Paul. Paul's happy to take his shots when they're on, but he'll pass up. But, yeah, obviously campaign's a little bit more uh, shot first. But, yeah, yep. but, yeah, you're right. Like, they got nothing from Cam Johnson. Uh, Mikel Bridges did nothing. Oh, Bridges was the other one, yeah. Yep. Jay Crowder rebounded the living shit out of the ball. He had 13 boards, but he couldn't make a shot. Booker, yeah, he said he had no rhythm all night. These are all guys that usually provide that huge spark. DeAndre Ayton was, yeah, absolutely MIA. He couldn't get anything working out of the pick and roll. Six rebounds for the game, which yeah. is down massively. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, picked a bad time to have a bad game. They actually got more out of Frank Kaminsky when he was on the floor. Yeah, well, I saw he played more minutes than I... But this goes back to what I said last week. The Saric injury was big. Massive. And I don't There's think- a big guy. You know, he's no slouch. Okay, he's not an all-star, but you can get some good minutes out of him. I don't think that injury got enough credit. No, it really wasn't don't. discussed enough. Not, not credit, but, you know, I don't think yeah, it was discussed. Yeah, yeah, right uh, yeah. enough coverage. So, yeah, I mean, Chris, even Chris Paul, like, he was passive early. He he played brilliant late. He was basically just, yeah, using the pick, but instead of giving it up to Aiden, who went 4 of 12, he just got to the free-throw line and was just hitting. He should have just every play, run a pick and roll, get me to the free-throw line. If I make 60, 70% of those, we're going to win the game. And they just didn't go to it enough, yeah. basically. So, but yeah, the Bucks win it in six. I actually didn't realize the uh, the Bucks in six chant was paying homage to Brandon Jennings. Jennings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Realize that. yeah, that's got a bit of coverage the last few days. That ridiculous uh, chant, yeah, from when they were down 2 0 to the, the Heatles in 2012 13. And I think it's amazing for the league that you had two small market teams playing off against each other. Absolutely. And then put on such a great show. So. Absolutely. And by the way, James Harden, if you're listening, you can actually stay at a team and you can still win. So, Shui, I know we said that we'd look at the NBL free agency, but we're just running out of time. So maybe we'll push that back. Hopefully next week we won't make any promises. Look, we think we'll be able to do a proper rundown next week if we actually give it the time that it should have. So, A couple of things quickly. So you mentioned that Beal has had to leave. He's been replaced by Kildon Johnson, who was on the USA Select team. He was impressive, actually, in the, the limited time that he got on the court. I really like Kildon Johnson, yeah. Yeah, he's got a lot of alpha about him. Yeah, mm. yeah. But he's he's also gritty. He plays defense. He He's the sort of guy that will do what the team needs. Big, solid body. Oh, yeah, yeah. Decent yeah. jump shot on him as yeah. well. So, and yeah. Kentucky pedigree, too. And the other one is JaVale McGee, who joins the team for Kevin Love. What do you reckon? It's it kind of the first time you see it, you think, oh, that's a real unusual choice, but he makes perfect sense. It's a great choice. He makes perfect sense. He He's is, exactly what they needed. Yeah. I don't need the ball. If you throw me the odd lob here and there, I'm going to dunk on anyone who's near me. I can rebound. I'll block shots. Yes. All they need is a rim protector and a rebounder, basically, and a dunker. And teams will foul him out in probably 10 minutes. Well, he'll do his job. <laughs> no, he, he, will, he should have. They needed a guy like him in the squad in the first place. Yeah. And Kevin Love is not that sort of player. And, of course, in FIBA rules, you can tip it off the rim. So, yeah. He's a useful guy. He will be awesome. Speaking of FIBA rules, did you hear Brian Windhorst, what he said about FIBA rules? No. So on the Ball and Real World podcast, he said, and I quote, really the rules are created to make it tougher on the Americans, quite frankly. Although nowadays it's not just the Americans, it's the NBA players. Hmm. So when I first heard that, I thought, 
Jeez. Then when I heard it in context, he did kind of clarify by saying it's also the NBA players. But, dude, do you know what it is? Americans are used to hero ball and everyone else is used to team ball. But it's also that simple. The other way to look at it as well is, though, the Americans are the only ones that use Fahrenheit. The rest of the world use uses Celsius. Yeah, metric system. And the metric system, yep. they're the only league in the world that doesn't allow you to dunk a ball that's already inside the cylinder, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, maybe it's not us, it's you. Kind of goes back to the open comments that I made yeah, at the top. Absolutely. It does. Uh, but it's not a bad thing if guys need more than just a little bit of breath on them to go to the foul line. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the things that shits me about the NBA. The Opals had a win over Team USA without Liz Cambage. That was impressive, wasn't it? Yeah, look, I'll admit I actually didn't get to see that one, but I did read the recap on it. Magbagor had an absolute cracker from what I read. Yeah, it was a really interesting one. So Steph Talbot went bang with a three straight away, and we're thinking, oh, yeah, we're on here. But the Yankees actually got out to a 16-point lead, so it was really impressive that Australia never got rattled. They pegged it back. The 70-67 to victory was Australia's first win over the Americans since 2010. So it's been quite some time. But you're absolutely right. Meg Bigger was was very, very good. And I think she probably becomes the key to us winning the She is medal. huge. Very important. Very important. Now, Shui, there was a weird thing in the coverage. So there was this bloody interview with Lisa Leslie. Did we need minutes? And when I say minutes, I mean literally minutes, like not just cutting in at the end of an air break with one little, you know, the end of a question. She literally spoke for minutes while the screen shrunk and we had to look at her interview while the bloody game was going on and it was a close game mm. and she was talking about really important things like the red uniforms what the hell how is that important yeah okay lisa leslie she's a legend of the game yeah, but like for christ's sake talk to her in a timeout i mean bill walton's a legend of the game but you don't want to hear him yeah rambling on for half an hour about sticks and carrots and <laughs> other random things because he's losing his mind. Like, I do love Bill. What do you think of the ESPN halftime show in the NBA finals? Or the playoffs, indeed. Do you know, I have to admit, I actually would fast forward through that. I, I did too. I didn't watch it because most of the time I was up against time constraints anyway. But, yeah, yeah. True, but uh, yeah, for me, it was all about the action on the court. I, I wasn't really that fussed about any of their analysis. I like them all as individuals, but as a group, it just didn't seem to gel for me. The only halftime show I watched in full was in, I think it was the conference semifinals at Phoenix. And that was because Alice Cooper was playing in the background and I was <laughs> listening to him sing Schools Out. <laughs> An interesting connection, by the way. Alice Cooper, of course, does that funny little spiel about Millet Walker on one of the Wayne's World movies. Oh. So it has that connection because I think he's got a restaurant in Phoenix or something. Anyway, one of the underrated rock artists of all time. And now. This week in sport history. July 22nd, 1859, underarm slow right arm bowler. And can you be anything other than slow when you're underarm? Really quick underarm, imagine that. V.E. Walker takes 10 for 74 in the first innings against Surrey, bowling for an all-England cricket 11 at the Oval in London. Exactly six years later, Walker would take 10 for 104 in an innings for Middlesex against Lancashire at Old Trafford in Manchester. I'm sure there are a couple of Chapel Brothers somewhere that are thinking about these records. <laughs> Sorry. Just don't, quietly. Don't, don't give New Zealand any more ammo. <laughs> July 23rd, 1993, Australian Mark Hutton opens the pitching for the New York Yankees in a 5-2 win over the Anaheim Angels, making him the first Australian to be a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. He was only the sixth Australian to ever play in the majors, and interestingly, 23 of the 35 Aussies to make it have been pitchers. Yes, it's true. 
1993, the Yankees, Boston Red Sox, and Toronto Blue Jays would finish in a three-way tie for first place, with the Blue Jays winning their second consecutive title and the last one they've won. I actually went to high school with a guy that played in the minors. Hmm. Yeah. July 23rd, 1993, New York met Vince Coleman, a repeat offender, so to speak, for this week in sport history. We talked about him that time in automatic tarpaulin, injured his leg in 1985, a playoff game of all things. Is arrested and charged with endangerment after throwing a lit explosive into a crowd of fans waiting for autographs in the parking lot of Dodger Stadium, injuring three children and a two-year-old. He was fortunate enough to only receive 200 hours of community service and be suspended with pay. Just a month later, the Mets announced that he wouldn't be returning the following season. No surprise there. Solid decision from the Niners. <laughs> yeah, yes. Oh, my favourite squadron. My favourite squadron. For that choice, yeah. <laughs> and July 24th, 1914, the last day of club cricket for English legend WG Grace as he top scores for Eltham with an unbeaten 69 runs against Grove Park. Now, what's crazy about this is that Grace was actually born in 1848. So this match was played less than a week after his 66th birthday. <laughs> That's crazy. 66? Yeah. I couldn't even play at 36. And Mate, still I make a noise every time I oh, the old, my knees. The old person yeah. growing with yeah, I'm not even 40 yet. In and out of the car. Yeah. Oh, my God. Shocking. <laughs> and also keep in mind that he played test cricket for England at the age of 50 years and 320 days. A true, true legend of the game. No doubt about that. This week in sport history. So as I mentioned, Stewie, I didn't see a hell of a lot of it, I'll be honest. But the T20 tour of the Windies has ended and probably a lot of Aussies are saying, thank Christ. What a fucking disaster. <laughs> I think the whole series could probably be described by the... Ah, yes. Four horribly subpar matches. The, the almost worrying thing about the Aussies was the way that they lost the games. They should have waltzed to victory in game one. Games two, three, and five, they were barely in. And game four, they should have won quite easily and only just managed to win that one. Yeah, so. that's the one I saw a bit of, yeah. yep. Now, I won't sort of go through the entirety of the, the series because it, it was pretty average, but games one and two basically had the exact same script to them. So the Aussie fielders dropped a catch. Now, admittedly, both of them were very tough chances. They were the sort of catches that you'd expect to make. So Moses and Reeks had one absolutely smashed to him at mid-wicket, I think it was, and put it down. And Adam Zampa dropped one off his own bowling. But then the West Indian batsman that was dropped went on to make a big score. So in the first game, Andre Russell was dropped on five, went on to make 51 off 28. Ouch. In the second game, Dwayne Bravo dropped on two, goes on to make 47 off 34. Yep, you've got to punish them when they drop you. And and it cost the Aussies big runs. It probably cost an extra 25 to 30 runs in game one and God knows how many in game two. Mm. And then in reply, the Aussies did the same thing. They just kept losing wickets consistently. Mitch Marsh was the only player to make big scores in most of the matches. And the majority of the wickets were guys just skying balls out to the boundary, not playing smart cricket. Big collapses in both four for 14 in game one and six for 19 in game two. Ouch. As I said, the only difference was in game one, we should have won it. We were flying. 41 off the last 10 overs needed with six wickets in hand, and they just collapsed. Oh, you got to win from that position. And especially when you consider the pretty tame West Indian bowling lineup in there. So, like, Fidel Edwards was opening the bowling, and he's 30. He's been around forever, He's yeah. 39. Yeah, and Andre Russell isn't super quick, for example. No, not really. And then you had Obed McCoy, who was in his 11th T20, Hayden Walsh Jr. in his 10th, and they just ran through the middle and lower order. So yeah, that was a little bit worrying. And it was that sort of game style where you sort of think to yourself, this is where the value of guys like Stephen Smith and Marnus Labuschagne are. Oh, absolutely. In the first season of the IPL, it became apparent pretty early that it's good to have guys that rotate the strike 
Sometimes it's better to just smack it into the pitch and run a single. Yep. Because if you don't do that, you just eat balls and often an over will go by and it's it's a maiden. Yeah. And so that's exactly my sort of thoughts is that, yeah, there are going to be times when we get off to a great start. Yeah, Aaron Finch has had a, a great start up the top with, say, Matthew Wade. Not this series. Well, not so much this series, but, <laughs> but occasionally it will happen. And then yeah. you, you say, okay, let's throw in another hitter, whether it be a Mitch Marsh or a Moses Enrique or Stoinis. Stoinis or Glenn Maxwell, whoever it happens to be. Yep. And Smith or Labashane might find themselves coming in at six or seven. That's great. Yep. But when you get to that stage where it's all of a sudden two for 18 in the fourth over and you think to yourself, right, we need to really start building an yep. here. that's where that That's is. when Smith and Labuschagne are vital. Absolutely. Invaluable. They were focusing on the Ashes, though, it has to be said. So oh. there's a lot of cricket going on. We're worried about the Ashes more than the T20 World Cup, it's got to be said. So I have no problem with guys like Manus playing the longer form of the game to get ready for our summer. Yeah. Game three can pretty much be summed up in two words. Chris Gale, he was at his destructive best. Yeah, we had the, the same sort of issues with our with our batting. Uh, Aaron Finch finally made a score, but it was less than a run of ball 30, no timing, all of that sort of stuff. But anyway, Chris Gale, 67 off 38. He took 18 off four balls from Josh Hazelwood and then hit three straight sixes off Adam Zampa. Just as usual, everything leg side went over the boundary. It was ridiculous so yeah he now has more than 14,000 t20 runs wow, from right. 431 matches wow. including a career best and it's easy to forget this 175 of 66 yep in the ipl yeah curtly ambrose was actually reliving that and he actually stopped mid-sentence he's like 175 of 66 balls jesus <laughs> Oh, I love Kirtley, one of my favourite sports people of all time. He is brilliant. So, yeah, it was just, again, more poor decisions, more poor bowling. Half the team at that stage probably shouldn't have even been looked at for the World Cup squad. Thankfully, we managed to get a little bit more of a performance from the likes of Finch, who is now injured. Yes. which is Alex Kerry got a uh, captaincy call up today in a one-dayer. Yep. But, Which went uh, a bit better for us. Yeah, a little bit <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, game five, see game three, swap Chris Gale for Evan Lewis. And once again, as soon as Mitch Marsh and Aaron Finch are dismissed, the rest of the team just falls apart. Game four, we did thankfully win that. But even then, it took Mitch Stark defending 11 off the last over which was mostly because Andre Russell refused to take easy singles off the first three ball. So, Like I said, sometimes you got to take singles. Sometimes you got to take a couple of singles. Yep. And a single. And a single, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, yeah, it's, I guess what I wanted to look at, I mean, the big positive from the whole series was Mitch Marsh. Now, as blokes from WA, we're kind of supposed to defend him. <laughs> yes, he, yes. And we're used to the Marsh boys getting criticised from the Eastern States. Let's, roundly, yeah. Let, let's be fair. But no, look, he played a great series. I mean, Aaron Finch was the only other Aussie to have a half century. Marsh had three of them, including 75 or 44 in the only win in game four. And he bowled superbly. He took eight wickets at less than seven runs and over. The only Aussie with more than four wickets. Really good economy rate. I think he's going to be a really good option for a four or five batsman and kind of like a second change bowler in this world. Cup. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it definitely, should be good. Definitely. I mean, see I mean, the negatives, where do you start, really? Well, <laughs> I mean, half the team, as I say, the fringe players, none of them performed. Ben McDermott, Josh Felipe, Ashton Turner, they all struggled, poor strike rates. And look, Felipe's fairly new to international cricket, so we probably give him a little bit of a benefit yeah. of the doubt. You just couldn't have all of them in the same, no, yeah, in the same, same time. Side. Yeah, Riley yeah. Meredith showed glimpses, but, I mean, he had an economy rate of 13.4, which is hideous. Yeah. Mitch Swepson, 13.6 in his one game. So, yeah. And 
to that point, Mitchell Stark bowled horribly and had four times as many overs as Chris Gale with the same amount of wickets. Yes, his economy was not good. It was not good. But so he turned it around today. He did. And, and look, I haven't seen more than a few of the wickets in today's game. And I, don't I think just read a recap. Either, yeah, I just saw a recap. He, he got a five for. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, Stark bowled beautifully in this one. But yeah, it's uh, look, the T20 stuff is not great. We were talking about this before we started recording. We're just not an amazing T20 side. No, we, we certainly seem to be a better one-day international team than a T20 team. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, thank Christ that is over. Indeed. Well, Nath, the obvious question at the moment is what in God's name is going on in the AFL right now? We have a fair bit to talk about. Oh, yeah. But we've got to start with the tipping. Yeah, sadly. How'd you go, Nath? Not good. Not good. Four. No. I, I had a lead of nine on you at one point. I am choking away my tips. I thought it was more than nine. I thought it was double figures. It might have been. It might have been. I am absolutely collapsing over the line, much like the Phoenix Suns did in the NBA finals. Well, hopefully I can be the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, no, I had, I had, Not a, good for I had me. a seven, so I got three back on you this year. Yeah, and I had four, but one of them was a draw. Yeah, crazy draw. Hawthorne and Melbourne. Who would have picked that? Uh, not many, I wouldn't have thought. So, no, it's... Uh, it was it was a, a pretty good round for me, I would say. It was just the the Richmond beating Brisbane and Port Adelaide beating St Kilda. That was the two I got wrong. And you took a couple of a punts. Oh, the one the two I did. Three. I finally stopped playing safe and I should have kept playing safe. Two of the three that you got wrong, I can't blame you on. The the Fremantle over Geelong was a Do you know one. your outro in our last week's episode helped convince me to pick Freo because but also I heard the stat that Geelong had lost five of their last six in Perth. And there was no Gary Rowan. We already knew that Jeremy Cameron was out. Mitch Duncan was already out. So I thought if ever there was a time for the Dockers to get him, but no. <laughs> I'll take the credit for that one. Yeah, we can rule a line through the Dockers now. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I think so. And we can keep the line through Richmond because Dusty's injured. Yeah, geez, that was, it looked so innocuous. Lacerated kidney. Mm, didn't look like much at the time, though. I, I mean. I mean, I was thinking about this before and I was thinking there's really, if you make a list of guys you don't want to run into, Cam Zerha, Mitch Robinson would be up there. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Those guys yeah. would be right at the top of your yeah, list. Mitch Robinson will run through. And he just bounced up and ran off. And meanwhile, Dusty, who is not a small bloke, no. is laying on the ground in obvious agony. So, yeah, that's his season. So, yeah, definitely. Look, it was a surprise win, I guess. I mean, it certainly raised a lot of questions about Brisbane and their title contention. Brisbane are I mean, sputtering, aren't they? After the hipwood injury, they're not looking too good. They're not. They're really struggling, and it really throws Joe Danaher into the mix in terms of you need to now lead this forward line. And Charlie Cameron, who's kind of been had a pretty average season, hasn't been great. You know, yeah, he's gone from being in borderline all Australian last year to not so great this year. There's a lot of concerns, and a lot of people are bringing up the point that someone like Oscar McInerney in the Rock who, you know, I gave him a lot of props earlier in the year. He's not been amazing against some of these top-tier Ruckmans. So. And Brisbane's falter could be Sydney's success. They're opening the door for the Swans to climb into that top four. And after the Swannies went down pretty big to the Giants, the Giants kicked seven goals in a row, and then the Swannies went and kicked nine in a row. That's a funny old game. Yeah, it, I mean, look... The I, Battle of the Bridge, second year in a row, it was held outside the state of New South Wales. We went to the one last year, obviously, and this year it so was... this would be like the Battle of the Vid. I guess. <laughs> this was the best I could come up with. But uh, no, I think from what I saw, it looked like once you guys started owning that corridor, that, that centre corridor, that is where the Swans are successful. That is where they're going to be brilliant. And they're fearless and their skills are superb. They have a lot of good players like... 
Dawson. Blakey played How really good well. Is Nick Blakey? Blakey was hitting Bud on the chest. Sweet and Jesus yeah, and Bud good. didn't have a great first half. But yeah, Blakey was was excellent through the middle. Kind of playing that Ray Shaw role off halfback. They found a home for him there. And let me tell you, Tommy McCartan is looking like Paul Ruse back there. Yeah. Tommy McCartan has been fantastic in the back line. Yeah. yeah. So Lance Franklin joined Tony Lockett as the only two players in AFL history to kick 400 goals with two different teams. Indeed, yes. That's right. And both of them play for the Swans, which I thought was pretty yes, cool. So, yes, yes. But, yeah, geez, that was a weird game. I must admit I kind of gave up on that one very early because I thought, oh, well, the, the Giants must have pretty much had them right at that dam's about to break sort of point, and then the Swans just found their groove. Yeah, I think I think it was Papley. Papley, I think he kicked three. I think he kicked one just to give just enough hope and came into the second half going gangbusters. Mm, yeah. Papley yeah. was excellent. Yeah. Now, a couple of other interesting things from this round – Two of the three top sides that we spoke about last week really struggled big time against sides that you would have expected them to beat pretty comfortably. So Hawthorne held the Demons to a draw after a last-minute goal from Josh Bruce, and the Bulldogs struggled to beat the Gold Coast Suns of all teams. I've kind of figured a little bit of this stuff out. So it, it seems like the Eagles of a few years ago, in terms of Melbourne, I guess this is what I'm talking about. If you look at their two main defenders, so Stephen May and Jake Lever, it's the same as what the Eagles had with McGovern and Barras and to a lesser extent, Shannon Hearn, where you bomb it inside 50 high, they're going to pick you apart all day long. If you can break through the forward 50 the way that Hawthorne did over the weekend, Melbourne are very, very beatable. Lower your eyes, try and get those shots around 50. Yeah. Yep. The only thing I guess that goes in Melbourne's favour is that they do seem to play down to the shit teams. Yeah, definitely. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. And the, the benefit of finals are there are no shit teams in finals. So, well, maybe the Eagles, but... Uh, well, so. they're not going to play us. We'll be out in the first round. Don't worry about that. But, uh, but no, I mean, this is where their match against the Western Bulldogs this weekend looks like an absolute cracker. And the other thing as well, it looks like the way to beat the Western Bulldogs is with smaller forwards. Because all the teams that have been giving the Bulldogs problems in recent weeks ah, interesting. have done so. And the Gold Coast did it They've been missing Norton too, it's got to be said. Yeah, look, Norton obviously is a massive, massive out. But the Dogs haven't had a huge amount of pressure put on their back line over the course of the season. So it's just, if you can get those small forwards in the right form, and it has to be said, the Eagles' small forwards are great this weekend against Adelaide. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But no, if you can get these guys in good form against the Western Bulldogs' defence, then you can open them up. Oh, now, speaking of Hawthorne, Stewie, that succession plan, now some people are saying that it's absolute tatters and Mitchell wants Alistair Clarkson gone as soon as possible. Mitchell came out today and said, well, I have known the bloke for 20 years, did play under him a fair while, so it's anyone's guess what's happening there. (sighs) Yeah, (laughs) flip a coin. Yeah. I I said, I think it might have been last week or a couple of weeks ago, that I did not think that Mitchell would sit back. I felt like he would be coaching at least half of next season. From all accounts, it does sound like he might be there round one. Yeah, well, or he might not be coaching until round one, 2023. It's possible. But yeah. This is going to be a really, really amazing developing story to to watch. I mean, And speaking of developing, so the company line is he's working with the young developing players. That's kind of his focus at the moment. And it kind of makes sense that as he kind of takes the reins as head coach, they'll be coming through a little bit more. They do have a few older blokes. Bruce helped them get the draw, of course. It's one of those funny draws where one team feels like they won and the other team feel like they've lost. Yeah. Yeah. But they all still sit there and hang there. Well, there's still a draw at the end of the day. And I guess we've kind of buried the lead here. 
the we, scheduling. We have to talk about the COVID chaos to, to round this out. This so is- apparently in the last three weeks, the AFL's lost $15 million, according to Tom Brown at Triple M. Now, apparently the players were hoping for 15% pay rises next season, but they may need to have pay cuts again. People were silly to think this COVID ripple effects weren't going to last for more than a couple of years. Yeah. These ripple effects could last for five plus years. So let, let's look at some just some of the things that are going on. So Port Adelaide and Adelaide were supposed to get on flights this weekend to go across to play. Well, Port were playing Collingwood on Friday night and Adelaide were playing Hawthorne Saturday or Sunday. Yep, so they've been rushed out of lockdown in South Australia into lockdown in Victoria. And there was talk originally that it was, oh, they're going to stay in Adelaide and they'll do a showdown this round instead of the, the following round. And this is the thing when this shit happens late in the season. They have fewer options because there's fewer teams that need to play each other. Yep. It's not like early in the season when this has happened and they've been able to blow the schedule up. Yeah. And so you, so you had that. Then you've had Rowan Marshall, who is in quarantine in Perth after attending a Tier 1 exposure site, as is Josh Dunkley. And then you had how many guys missing from the Swans and Giants match? Yeah, Toby Green was very destroyed, apparently, because they went to a rugby match. Well, that'll teach you to go to a rugby match. But the thing is, now we don't know know, when he's going to be able to play again. Yeah, we were without Callum Mills, who was a pretty big out too. So you're talking about a team in GWS who is vying for that eighth spot. They're only half a game out of eighth spot plus percentage. And the Swans vying for a top four spot, potentially. So you've got key players missing from both those. So th- this is obviously huge. And both those teams have been outside New South Wales for a month now after the AFL told them it would never be more than three weeks. Yeah. Never say never, AFL. Never. Yeah. And so obviously the next question, which is starting to do the rounds, is what happens in the finals? If Victoria is not able to have anyone in the Campbell MCG, Brown said that they should play the granny at the MCG no matter what, even if there's no fans. He's a fucking idiot. He is a fucking idiot. Can you imagine... A grand final in front of zero fans when they could fly over to Adelaide or Perth or even Tassie, for fuck's sake, and have at least 20,000, but up to 80,000 here. Yeah, that's like, a horrible take. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, if you look at it this way, if you have it in Perth, you're all but guaranteed, touch wood, you're guaranteed a crowd of 60,000. Yeah. Because we will absolutely fill that up. Yep. And secondly... I think I said 80. Yeah, it's closer to 60. Well, I mean, but yeah, yeah, whatever, we, whatever would. we would. We would. Yeah, of course. It, of course. It'd be packed to the brim if it can. It's more than a half full MCG. Yeah, yeah. Or an empty MCG. Or an empty MCG. But the second thing is the likelihood of West Coast being any sort of factor in the finals and Fremantle for that matter as well is slim to nil. So it's going to be a like a proper... Well, Brisbane made a prelim anyway, so last season. So if that happens, it happens. I yeah. mean, Melbourne teams play at the G. But it, but it's going to be a, like a proper neutral, neutral zone, yeah, yeah. which, which yep. I think is great for the, the game as well. But yeah, look, God knows when Victoria is going to go back to normal, or normal in inverted commas. Yeah, well, like I said, ha- literally half the country, 13 out of nearly 26 million people are in lockdown currently. So mm. the COVID chaos is running rampant. They have time to make the decision, but the time is running out very, very rapidly. It's going to be very interesting to see how the next month unfolds in the footy world. Can I leave you with the stat of the round? Go on. Geelong, 28 to 2 marks inside 50 against Fremantle. Doesn't surprise me. What a damning stat. Yeah, I sat through that game and it was excruciating. Mm. (laughs) Absolutely excruciating. That just just jumped out of me. I just wanted to uh, just quickly run that past you before before we wrap it up. All right, sure, you know what that music means. What are you out for? I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, like, it's like that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that could be awesome. So obviously Friday Night Football should be the Western Bulldogs in Melbourne, which should be awesome. 
If it goes ahead, yep. But we're just as likely to have a schedule change and have Swan Districts versus Warrnambool for Tory night. <laughs> but no, look, obviously the Olympic Games should be absolutely amazing. Looking forward to that. Shouldn't go ahead. Yes, opening ceremony kicking off Friday if the footy doesn't. Yeah, yeah. yourself. Well, I'm looking forward to watching Game 6, of course. Haven't seen that yet, so absolutely looking forward to seeing the Bucks win. But until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. <laughs>